0: Hey everyone, this is a bonus Q&A episode. I try and uh, answer questions live every Thursday. Uh, you can sign up to come to my free live Q&A at schoolforthedogs.com slash Q&A and, a, and uh, you will see the next one I'm doing I then am trying to take recordings of those Q&As and post them here to the podcast feed. If you have a question, you can email me directly, Annie at School for the Dogs. You can also go to anchor.fm dogs and record your question there. Thanks for being here. Hello. Can you hear me? If you're here, please tell me if you can hear me. This. Can you hear me? And um. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Yolanta. Kathy, where are you joining us from? Oh, great. You can hear me. Yolanta sent me... uh, Thank you so much for the super sweet uh, email you sent me, Yolanta. Actually, it was so sweet. Could I read it? Would you mind if I read it? Let me know. And I should tell you, Yolanta, um, I just heard from the... uh, I, so I took Amos, my dog, to um, Blue Pearl yesterday, an animal hospital in New York City, and they did a needle biopsy of um, this mass that he has on his liver, and it came out uh, that it doesn't look like it's cancer. So, I, I mean, I, I figured the chances of it not being cancer were, like, tiny I was really not prepared for that good news. So I'm thrilled. I mean, they said his heart's a little big, like he, you know, clearly is the old dog with the beginnings of some issues, but it's possible he just had this really big mess on his liver for a long time. Um, so overall just um, feeling quite glad about that. And, um, and uh, yeah. And my computer, which I spilled water on this time last week, <laughs> uh, is working. I, I'm. I, I don't want to jinx life, but but the two terrible things that happened last Thursday are now a lot less terrible than they were. And I spent a lot of time over the last um, uh, the last week just like like mourning him, even though he's not gone yet. Just really like went just had a lot of emotions, like thoughts, feelings about. Life <laughs> life, death, time, etc. I've been been a little emotional. Um, and I am having a, a doctor uh, who does like um, acupuncture and uh, like Chinese herb stuff come uh, actually later today. Um, his, see if maybe we can get his appetite going. And um, yeah, I I feel also just so grateful to um, my two friends who are vets who have just like gone above and beyond um, to help me through this scary week. Um, uh, Dr. Andrea too, uh, who's with Behavior Vets, they used to rent space from from us. Uh, They used to operate kind of outside of our studio for a long time, Uh, there are very few um, behavior vets in the country. And, uh, she is, she, uh, and Dr. Christensen are, are just such spectacular people. And, and, uh, Dr. Two actually offered to come sit with me, uh, yesterday at Blue Pearl for a few hours while, I mean, it was like, it was more than a few hours. It was like four hours while we were waiting for, uh, Amos to get his tests. And, um, I was just, just, I mean, the fact that she was a vet was just like a huge bonus because like she could walk me through everything. You know, it was all over the phone because of COVID. Like I, I never even saw the doctor face to face. So being able to like be with my friend there who's a vet who could tell me, you know, in plain English, like what was going on with the vet who I wasn't face to face with was talking about um, just meant a lot. Um, and Dr. Lisa, who... Um, uh, is, is a remote house call that actually both of them, I've interviewed both of them on the podcast before. Um, Dr. Lisa has, um, has been, uh, just such a great resource also kind of helping to, um, figure out where, where he should go, what to do all of it. So I'm blessed to have these like, (laughs) like a concierge bespoke veterinary experience. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and all right. So I have a couple questions here, but I, Yolanda, um, I wanted, um, I wanted to read the super sweet email that Yolanda sent me about losing her dog. And, you know, I hate talking about dogs dying. It's like my least favorite thing. I hate seeing movies where dogs die. So, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to even talk about this stuff, but it's part of the the whole thing about having a dog, isn't it? So Yolanta wrote me the other day. Uh, my thoughts are with you and Amos. I wanna share my story with you because the hardest day is yet to come and I myself wasn't emotionally prepared for it. Bundy was my first dog, a Yorkshire Terrier that came into my life when he was already two years old. I was in seventh grade and didn't know anything about raising a dog but I really believe he had the best life. He lived until 19 years old. He was with me for over half of my life and was by my side through high school, college, job layoff, major breakup and the beginning of grad school. He had puppy energy until he was about 12. Amos too, he's really, Amos has only slowed down recently. Uh, after 12, he melted out, but remained in good health until his last year. He started having bad days, but he was having good days, too, so my parents and I did our best to care for him and keep him comfortable. I was set to go to grad school abroad, and I cried hysterically when leaving because I was scared his health would turn for the worse in my absence. I called my parents on Skype all of the time just to talk to Bundy so he could hear my voice. I came home for Christmas and saw that he was indeed worse, and when I had to go back to school, I bawled my eyes out while hugging him for what felt like hours because I didn't I didn't know if he would make it to the summer. I went to China in the spring for study abroad. And soon after I arrived, I had a nightmare that he passed away. I called my parents and they broke the news that he was gone. It was surreal because it was as though our spirits, mine and Bundy's were somehow connected. And I was immediately sensitive to his absence. I struggled for a good three weeks because I was so far from home alone i didn't know how heartbroken my parents were too until i came home during the summer they had buried him for me and planted flowers in his memory to this day i love bundy so much and still cry when i think about him when i graduated and came back to new york city i had to get cody in order to truly overcome my grief my advice is to hug and kiss Amos, celebrate the days he feels well by doing your favorite memorable things together, and surround yourself with your support network. Every pet owner goes through what you're going through, so you're not alone. I don't know if it's really possible to emotionally prepare, so I would just cherish every day you have with him, and please get a second medical opinion just in case. Thank you. Big, big hugs, Yolanta. It was so sweet. Actually, it made me think of a passage. Um, I don't know if I can find it while I'm here right this second, but... Um, uh Darwin there there's a letter that Darwin's sister uh, wrote him about his dog dying that that uh, that that made me think of this um, let me see if I can find this but wait, I'm getting distracted anyway um, I'm here to answer questions, not to Google letters to Darwin about dogs dying, but somewhere I'll find it at some point there um he was a big dog liver. And um, uh, I feel like I, I, I've, yes, you're right. Like you need a support system. And you know, in the last week as I, you know, I just got this good news, by the way, like 30 minutes ago, the last week, then I, w- I was thinking a lot about, you know, my feelings. And, and I, I did realize, you know what, like, I can ask, like, I can ask Kate, um if i have to change his diet like he can help me figure out like what i should need to feed him um you know if i can't deal emotionally with like bringing him into chemo or anything like that like i can ask jason to do that like i i it occurred to me like oh i don't have to i don't have to do this all by myself because part of what was stressing me out was like you know i i want to be there for him and give him the best possible care um and But, you know, like I also have a toddler and my own business and, like, there's only one of me and, like, the stress of, like, how am I going to care for him in the best possible way um, on top of the sadness. Um, Anyway, so, yes, good to have a support network. And um, all right, questions. Um, I promised... Supriya, who has written me uh, questions before, I promised her that I would answer at least one of the questions she emailed me like a batch. And I said, if I couldn't do I, I, I think I told her if I couldn't do them all, I would at least do um, one a week. <laughs> uh So I'm just going to do them in the order that they came in. Um, So her first question is, in Animals in Translation by Temple Grandin, she says that one of the very few instances she thinks using an e-collar is useful is when training dogs to stop a prey drive. I'm lucky enough that even when my dog chases everything from squirrels to deer, he always comes back. But I don't want to wait for my luck to run out. What do you think of Temple Grandin's advice? Um, great question. Animal in Translation is a book I read uh, right around when I started, I think, the Karen Pryor Academy um, 10 and a half years ago. Um, and Temple Grandin is, uh, if, if you've never heard of Temple Grandin, actually, there's a wonderful um, a biopic about her starring Claire Danes um, that anyone who's interested in animals definitely should watch. Um, she uh, is autistic and uh, I believe has spent her career um, very successfully helping, I think her main thing has been helping design slaughterhouses um, to be as Humane as possible, um, but the truth is, I really don't know that m- much about using e collars to stop uh, a prey drive. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, oh hi, Vicky's here. Hi, mom. <laughs> Vicky is my mom. Um, I don't know a lot about using an e collar to stop prey drive. Um, I think that I, you know, if this was a client asking, should I use an e collar to stop? prey drive, I would say, I think the best thing to do would be to start out with the whistle recall, um, which, you know, basically is you blow a whistle and drop food at your feet and make that just like a super reliable cue that every time uh, you blow that whistle, you know, delicious stuff happens right near you. And it's, it's really an easy thing To teach because you're not asking anything of your dog, Uh, you're just creating that association. Um, I believe I did do a podcast on teaching a recall in this way, a podcast episode. Um, uh, I would say do that first. Um, However, uh, you know you're competing with with prey drive, which can be a lot stronger than whatever it is you could possibly offer your dog. to associate with the whistle. So, you know, in, I, I, I don't, like I said, I, I don't know um, how e-collar work that's done with dogs, for instance, like um, rattlesnake, uh, keeping dogs away from rattlesnakes. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that kind of um, training is done because, you know, the, the important thing is to make sure that the dog isn't making the wrong association. Um, however, you know, there are plenty of dogs in this world, just you know like a lot of gun dogs, for instance, who are trained using um, using electric collars. and uh, if they have good trainers, the collars shouldn't be used over and over again. They should be used effective by putting an electric collar on them. There are plenty of very happy dogs who have been trained with electric collars. Um, You know, dogs are certainly very resilient. Um, You know, there, there are a lot of reasons why I would caution anyone from going that route. But that said, um, there, there are dogs who I think have been trained well using electric collars. Could they have also been trained without the electric collars using positive reinforcement? Yes, probably, probably in most cases, but um, feel that they are able to use um, e collars uh, humanely in training. Maybe that. Maybe I can find a trainer uh, in that who's in that sector who could talk to me about it because I'd like to learn more. All right. Actually, I'm going to take one more Supriya Question. Um, I have them here. Second question from Supriya. Speaking of e collars, several models have three modes, a beep or a tone, a vibration and a shock. I've considered using something like this just for the tone as a way to teach my dog to come back to me when he's across the park. I don't like having to yell come from all the way across the park. I also can't whistle, unfortunately. Maybe I could teach my dog to associate the command come when he already does very well with the tone from an e collar. Thoughts? Yes, I think that's a great idea. And actually there's uh, there's at least one collar out there that's just a vibrating collar. Um, I can see if I can send you a link to it, Supriya. Um, I I know we have one at the studio, um, but uh, yeah, you could totally do that. Um, I think that's like a really cool thing to do. I've never done that myself, but what you could teach the dog that like, you know, one, one vibration means come back to mom. You could also teach the dog, you know, one vibration means go right and two vibrations means go left or a vibration and a tone means come to, you know, me and a vibration and a vibration means... You know, meet me at the door of the dog park. I mean, you could develop a whole language that way, and that certainly would be kind of a cool thing—a um, cool thing to experiment with. So, yes, do it. Tell me how it goes. I—I um, uh, I think that's it. You know, you know, like people who work with um, uh, herding dogs have to be able to. Uh, Teach them to go this way or that way, and I wonder if that's if they're doing something similar using these kinds of collars, using um, the vibration or the tone. Um, again, something I need to learn more about. I know that like um, there are hand signals that can be given from far away, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm endlessly interested in how um, technology can uh, make us more creative um, make us more creative in the ways that we can communicate with our dogs and do things with our dogs. I think it's super cool. Um, uh, I mean, there's a lot of technology out there that I think is unnecessary. Um, oh my God, I, I've, I've seen like, you know, like beds that record your dog's weight every day so you can track changes or, oh my God, we did actually a few years ago, we did a, a one of our dog students uh, was in a, a ad for a company that was creating this device that like hooked onto the dog's tail and counted the wags in the direction of <laughs> wags so that you could like monitor your dog's happiness level. Anyway, there's a lot of like ridiculous gadgets out there, um, uh, but there's also a lot of um, things out there that I think um, can be kind of hacked to help us train dogs in pretty cool ways. You know, I'm just going to power through and do all of Supriya's questions because I feel like I'm on a roll now. (laughs) Supriya's third question. This is the Supriya Q&A episode. Do you have any advice on how to talk to other dog owners about their poor behavior? I once saw a couple yell at their dog and proceed to ignore her. Fortunately, there was no physical violence. After their dog refused to retrieve a toy from the river. From what I could see, the dog simply didn't understand what she was supposed to do. Although I thought about giving them some advice, in the end, I didn't say anything. I can't help but wonder, what would Annie do? Oh, wow. Really great question. Um. So yeah, I try and uh, bite my tongue on all things um, relating to dog behavior unless I Um, and some more people signed up to talk to me like you guys here right now. Um, or, you know, if I'm at school for the dogs with my treat pouch on, in which case, um, I tend to feel I can be more vocal because, um, you know, people are in my, in my place. Um, uh, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's it's funny. The other day I I I actually uh, someone was saying that their dog was their puppy was nipping and she was like, So when the puppy nips I was I was standing at the desk, she was talking to Adam, one of our trainers, and she was like, When a puppy nips, my puppy nips, I I just gently like bang his nose with my fingers and say, Ouch. And I was like, "Oh, you shouldn't do that." <laughs> and afterwards, Adam was like, "I couldn't believe how ballsy you were to just say that that way." I always like feel like I have to tiptoe around these things. And I was like, "Yeah, but you know, like, you know, I'm the owner of this business, and it's a business about dog training, and you're asking, you know, about dog training in this in my like house, basically. <laughs> but you know, it's hard because like when you're at the dog park, I mean, at the dog park, like I see things all the time that I want to talk to people about, but." you know, uh, nobody, nobody's there to, to hear, uh, what Annie Grossman has to say. Um, so to go more specifically back to what I would have done in this situation, I mean, I think I would probably try and get the couple to see something that they like about the dog. You know, um, I, I always say like, we get so focused on like a dog needs to sit and sometimes like, you know, like on the street. You always see people trying to get a dog to sit before like I see this with my daughter all the time because like sometimes we have dog treats on us because she likes to go up to see dogs whenever possible on the street. So sometimes I have dog treats on on me and I give one to her and I'll say to the person, can my daughter give your dog a treat because it's like an appropriate way for her to interact with the dog. And, and the person will be like, you know, Bailey, sit. Bailey sit. And I just want to be like, just let the kid give the dog a treat. Like the dog is doing the behavior of allowing a kid to be in front of him that, you know, he's never seen her. Like, just be like, Bailey be cute. Good job. Um, Like it's about like finding some like much lower level behavior that you can, um, that you can reward. So in this, in a similar way, I think I would say to these people like, Oh my God, what a beautiful dog you know let her look at that coat or like look how welsh like what a great swimmer did you guys teach her that like you know which you know of course they probably didn't teach her how to swim but um do something to try and get them to see something she is doing well and like maybe that will help them even like take pride in in her being able to do something well you know something else that i've encountered um uh in this kind of situation is where people will say like she really knows it she's just not doing it right now or she you know she's being stubborn and um and uh like i feel like there's part of me in in the situation where you're describing where i would want to say like do you really know that she knows how to do this thing that you're asking her to do that you know is she really refusing or does she not know how to retrieve the toy um and uh so I, I I've also said, you know, under my school for the dogs roof, I've said to people, which can be awkward, like, oh, how do you know? Like, how do you know that 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 she knows that? How do you how do you know that she's refusing? Maybe she just never learned. How do you know that he's being stubborn? Maybe he doesn't know what you want him to do, or maybe he doesn't feel well. Um, so how do you know is kind of like my go-to uh I guess another go-to thing I would have in that situation. But it can be confrontational, so it depends. Uh, if, if you're standing inside school for the dogs and you're next to me, maybe it'll feel less con- <laughs> confrontational. Uh, Supriya's last question. I take my dog camping and backpacking quite a lot. One of the general rules is to pee or poop at least 200 feet from a water source, at least for humans and maybe for dogs too. Can I teach my dog not to pee or poop near a water source? I mean, okay. First of all, not to roll my eyes at these rules, like I'm sure they're there and they should be there, but like, aren't there lots of animals peeing and pooping near the water source? Like maybe like humans aren't supposed to do it, but like how many other animals are doing it? Like that's where my mind goes. But of course it's it's not about like having an argument about the rules. I'm just saying like, anyway, Um, I don't know how I would teach a dog to not pee or poop in a certain vicinity, But what you could do is train your dog to go on a wee-wee pad or train your dog to go on cue. I mean, a wee-wee pad is a kind of like visual cue, but the cue could be a word or whatever. And um, give that cue or put down that wee-wee pad before you enter the 200 foot source. Um, And in that situation, uh, the, before you enter, I'm sorry, the 200 foot uh, area from away from the water source, and you know, reward, make make it kind of a ritual that your dog gets rewarded for going, uh, going in that spot. I think that's probably my my best suggestion. I'm curious if the rules apply apply to dogs too. 200 feet from a water source, you can't pee or poop. I mean. What about the fish, the fish are peeing, (laughs) the fish are peeing and pooping. Um, All right, got through all of uh, Supriya's questions. Um, And I did have one other question come in. Um, Yolanta says, I have been working on desensitizing Cody to children. My neighbor's kid is typically loud and waves things in the air and runs around his yard to which Cody reacts by jumping on the fence and barking. So I keep him inside. Cody regularly plays with the dog and met the dog kid last week uh, and very suddenly lunged on leash when this kid started moving his arms. I don't know how to train better when his negative association continues to be reinforced by my neighbor's kid who is here only every other weekend. My neighbor tries telling his kid to act differently around Cody, but he doesn't listen. Uh, how old is the kid, Yolanta? How old is the kid? Because I would uh, loop in the kid to do some training, you know, make it a fun thing. You you could, you know, make it like you have a job for the kid. <laughs> um, but kids can be very good. Uh, Yolanta says nine or ten. OK, so say like, hey, I need help every other weekend training my dog. To help me for an hour Um, or (laughs) maybe $15. That's minimum wage in New York City. We have to pay our children fairly. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, see if you can uh, set up some situations where the kid can be at a distance that you think Cody can handle. Maybe you can do it at, it doesn't have to be in the actual situation. Find like a, find like a, a field or something, keep Cody on leash and just work on desensitization with, with the kid. It's also gonna, um, it's also going to, uh, make the kid more aware of Cody and kids pick up on this stuff really quickly in my experience. So, um, you know, you might find that you turn the kid into, into a little (laughs) mini dog trainer. Um, and ha- have the kid, um, you know, if you can get close enough, have the kid, you know, deliver some of the treats, toss it, toss the treats onto the ground. Anyway, let me know how that goes. I think that could be a fun thing for for both Cody and the kid. Um, a question came in from Yasmeen, uh, who lives in Chicago um, and listens to the podcast. Uh, Yasmeen said, hi. Hi. Um, I was accepted into the Karen Pryor Academy Dog Trainer Professional Program yesterday. Congratulations, Yasmin! I am excited and nervous to start the program in December. Since I don't currently have my own dog, I will be borrowing a friend's Aussie. Could you talk a bit about your experience through the program? Things like amount of hours a week, workshops, instructor, working with a borrowed dog. Thank you. Um, Gosh, yeah, I mean, I, I... it's been ten years. Actually, last last week I think was my ten year anniversary of of graduating, um, and I think the program has probably changed a lot since then. I, I I haven't gone through their most recent curriculum, but I can tell you my my general you know thoughts and feelings and, and what I remember. Um, I I I really went into the Karen Pryor Academy knowing. Pretty much nothing, and I think that's kind of unusual because I think, um, especially now, as it's as more and more people have done it, and it's gained more and more of a fine reputation. Um, there are a lot of people who go into KPA for their um, professional program after like impressive careers as dog trainers, um, and do it kind of to get that certification and to uh, really, to just to really dig in. Um, I I found you know it the, the pro the program for me really set me on the path of understanding um, how to how to approach dog training. Uh, it really gave me the basics, um, and it kind of it, it showed me where it showed me it pointed me in the right direction. I guess that's how I think about it, um, and uh i i i think i probably spent i don't know maybe 8 to 10 hours a week um i found the reading portion of it to be pretty easy it's like uh it, it i don't again i don't know how it is now but it was basically kind of like a powerpoint presentation that i went through like, that we went through so like and It it wasn't very like reading intensive, wasn't very writing intensive. There were exercises to do with the dog and that stuff, like, you know, you could spend as much time as you want because like you could endlessly perfect a behavior. Shaping is like a never ending process. Um, uh, And then there are weekend workshops every uh, six weeks. I did a workshop with Steve Benjamin, uh, who is... Uh, in Endicott, New York. I think he does uh, Karen Pryor Academy sessions um, all over the country now. Um, he had a facility, um, uh, like a basement facility. And and I, there were actually only two other people in the class with me. I think started out, there were five of us. Um, and interestingly, I was the only American out of the five. Um, there was one, I think one person from Japan, one from Israel, one from and two from, one from uh, Finland, living in Canada, and one from Canada, and um, and me. And um, it ended up, it was, in the end, it was just the two Canadian women and me. And, you know, so we got a lot of, like, attention and time. Um, a few, like, cohorts after me, um, my good friend Ilana went through KPA also with Steve, and her class had, like, 10 in it, um, which was hard for me to imagine because... You know, three felt like just right um, for me because I, I liked getting to know the other people. I liked um, getting the attention from from Steve, um, and you know, it was just really amazing to watch to watch him train. You know, like I remember, like just little things he would do that would just like one time I remember he put <laughs> he put down a plate and he started giving the dog treats on a plate to to focus the dog like on one spot because like it makes such a difference often where you're delivering your rewards. Like, you know, you say, they say like, you know, you click, you click for behavior, you treat for placement and saving the dog time so that he doesn't have to go looking for the treat, putting it on this one spot. So he knows exactly where to go. Like it was such a simple thing to see Steve do this. And yet it was like, Oh, okay. That's, (laughs) that's pretty brilliant. Um, Uh, I, but I, you know, I, what I didn't get from KPA, like I didn't, there, there was like a business section, but like, I don't really feel like I, 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 I graduated and felt like, oh, I know how to run a dog training business and I know how to teach. I, I mean, I, I, I left and again, I went in knowing nothing and I came out knowing a lot, but I don't think I really knew how to like teach. Like that was, it took a, it frankly, like took a few years of just like doing it to figure out how to communicate everything I had learned to people in a way that made sense to me, and you know, and I hope made sense, um, sense to my clients. And certainly, it's taken a while to figure out how to parlay the whole thing into, um, you know, uh, a sustainable business. Um, I hope. I hope I've answered this question in some kind of roundabout way. I, you know, I'm I'm sure that there's many different Karen Pryor experiences out there as there have been Karen Pryor Academy students. And I, for me, it was a wonderful thing uh, that I did. Um, I, like I said, I I don't feel, I feel like I, I needed to like go to the school of hard docs to actually learn how to teach. Um, and also, I, I don't know if this has changed. It really doesn't touch on like um, reactivity and like some of like the larger, you know, like separation anxiety, like issues. Um, and, and, um, but you know what, that's, that's, um, there, I guess I should say one thing that I, (laughs) sorry, I have so many thoughts. I don't know where to, to go. Um, you know, let me back up. Right after I finished Karen Pryor Academy, I went to the Association of Professional Dog Trainers annual conference, which that year was in Atlanta. And that just like blew my mind open. I think going from KPA, which sees things in a very specific way, which I'm like totally on board with. Um, but, you know, going from an experience where it was like mostly remote and I except for these, you know, four weekend sessions where I would see these two other women and Steve and um going from that to like this convention center with thousands of dog trainers doing all kinds of different things from all different kinds of places um they, there was a um, uh, an like they have like an expo in addition to the panels and the lectures they have um what's it called like a trade show I mean with with you know all different kinds of products and like, for, I had a real like epiphany moment going to that. And I would suggest that I think it's a definitely a good thing for anyone to to go to. I mean, if we, anyone can go to conventions again, who, who knows? But um, I would I would definitely suggest like diving into just like all all different kinds of resources um, uh So like, I, I, but like, I would have, I wouldn't, if I hadn't done KPA, I would not have even known about, you know, Temple Grandin. I wouldn't have known about, like, even if I wasn't reading that for the course, it just set me on like the path of like even learning. I wouldn't have known what the Association for Professional Dog Trainers was if I hadn't gone to KPA. Um, you know, I, you know, half the, half the books on my, on my dog training bookshelf, I probably bought because, um, Steve recommended them during the program. Again, you know, it's not a very text-heavy program, and and I really was, like, hungry to learn, like, more of the science and the history when I got out of KPA. That's sort of when I became, like, obsessed with B.F. Skinner. Um, uh, Anyway, that's a roundabout, long... uh, I hope answer to a question. All right, one last question I have here that uh, I had set aside. Billy uh, writes to me, I am an older person with some limited mobility issues. I use a cane and I'm possibly transitioning to a walker very soon. I have an adorable male Japanese chin who is energetic and the joy of my life. I use a cane because of balance issues and I fall. Uh, My little guy gets a brisk walk three mornings a week with a friend. I walk him the rest of the time. We generally go between half and three quarters of a mile. He pulls but stops with a no pulling and a tug. Okay. Uh, He seems to keep me upright. He seems to keep me upright with a bit of tension on the leash. So I don't use a cane when I'm walking him. I normally don't fall or trip when I'm out with him, but it has happened on occasion. I am thinking of getting a walker, which I think will give me more stability and wonder if you know of some techniques or hints about the safest way to walk a dog by a small woman that is safe. Can I attach the leash to a walker? Walking with a cane doesn't feel like a safe option for either of us. Wow. Okay. Um, Interesting question. And um Sounds to me like a really good idea to use a walker. Like relying on the weight of a Japanese chin pulling against you on a leash to keep you upright seems like, um, I don't know, just like less of a good idea to me than a walker. Um, you know, it's interesting because you say like the, the tension on the leash is helpful, but then, you know, you're also saying that he's pulling. Um, and you tug him. So it sounds like there's a lot of like back and forth on the leash that's going on that you're, that, I mean, it's complicated. Cause like you're saying you want him to pull because that helps to keep you up, but then he's pulling and you are trying to keep him from pulling. So, um, you know, it's possible that the pulling isn't actually a problem. So if he ends up pulling on your walker, Um, I mean, maybe that's actually no big deal. But you know, you could certainly if you want to work on keeping him to not keeping him from pulling, and you also want to use a walker, I very much think you could work on doing those two things at the same time. This is something where I would say, you know, probably would be helpful to work with a professional trainer in that um, just to sort of like set up how you're going to do it, but I can explain how I would approach it. Um, I would start somewhere where your dog is pretty comfortable and not used to pulling, like um, maybe in your living room, somewhere where I would start even without your dog on a leash. And um, then I would teach your dog to like stand next to you on like, let's say a yoga mat and with you having the walker next to you um, and start just like moving around the room just a little bit, you holding the walker. And I want you to... uh, Oh, you know, you have mobility issues. I don't know if you could bend down to give your dog a treat but what you could do is like put peanut butter on a spoon and if you can't bend and um bend down and give that to him like kind of near your leg or wherever it is you really want him to be when you're outside you know you could even put it on the walker uh, at least for training while you're doing this you know training and let him lick the peanut butter or whatever off of the walker but the idea is i want you to like start moving around um, you know, I said you have to use a yoga mat. You don't even have to use a yoga mat. What can be nice about something like a mat or or something like a dish towel is is that it can help him understand exactly where you want him to be. Um, but, you know, he can just learn where you want him to be in relation to you and the walker. So that's my suggestion. Start off without using a leash. You with the walker walking around like your living room and every like one step Uh, let him lick some peanut butter off of your walker or bend down, give him a treat or with peanut butter on a stick, that kind of thing. Um, And what you're going to be doing is teaching him exactly where you want him to be while you're walking so that you can then put the leash on the walker and attach it to him. But like uh, by doing it this way, you're adding in the leash after he's already learned where to be. So you're not like building his pulling into the behavior. Ideally, I don't want him to start pulling on the leash with a walker at all. I want him to not even feel like that's like something that you do when you're walking with Billy near her walker. Assuming, like I said, assuming, you know, pulling is a bad thing that you don't want i am a little confused by the way you you phrased it um you know you could also just to make it again a totally new experience i would maybe get um a different kind of harness like a front clip harness is a really good choice when you're trying to discourage pulling we use uh, we have the two hounds. um Freedom harness that we uh, recommend all the time, or Roughwear makes the front wear front range harness, which has a front clip, also good. But I would suggest getting some kind of new new attachment for him, um, so that you're sort of like starting off on a on a fresh fresh foot, as it were. Um, so you're not putting on something that he's already used to wearing and, while pulling, if that makes sense. Um, so get like a leash that attaches in a new place while you're working on this. And, um, Billy, if you'd like to work, uh, reach out, um, we could totally help you with this, uh, in a virtual session. Um, and for a limited time, if you get our good dog training, um, course, which is at schoolforthedogs.com slash courses, um, we are doing a 30 minute virtual session, um, Along with that purchase. All right, thank you, folks, for being here. And uh, I just posted last week's Q and A to the podcast. I will post this one here uh, as soon as I can. Tomorrow's episode, I'm really excited about. Um, Just, I'll, 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 should, should I tell you who I interviewed, or should I let you guess? I'll give you a hint. I interviewed a presidential candidate for the podcast, for real. (laughs) And it's sort of about dog training, kind of. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, But definitely check it out tomorrow. Um, I'm just in the process of editing it, and it's uh, pretty excited. I think it's going to be a pretty great episode. All right. Thanks, folks. I hope to see you next week. Bye.